0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much
1: at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, I'm Sam Delaney, and this is The Reset, a mental health podcast without all the bollocks. My guest this week is the award-winning writer and broadcaster Horatio Clare. Horatio's best-selling books include The Memoirs, Running for the Hills and Truant, and his travel and nature writing in best-selling books such as Down to the Sea in Ships and A Single Swallow is widely acclaimed. He's a great writer and a born adventurer too, but his latest book, Heavy Light, is about a whole different set of challenges he's had to face. Mania, psychosis, paranoia, ...and a personal mental health crisis that saw him sectioned in 2018. We often talk to people about the day-to-day ordinary mental health problems on this podcast... We all have to contend with those sorts of things in life, but Horatio's story is far more extreme than most. His book paints a vivid, at times terrifying, at other times frankly hilarious picture of what happens when a man's brain simply runs out of control. Horatio's now fully recovered and back on top of his life, and I was delighted to speak to him recently about his story. Horatio, welcome to The Reset. Thank you, Sam. Thank you for having me. Uh, It's a real pleasure. Um, I've been really enjoying your book. I've got a ton that I want to talk to you about. Um, Let's start with where the book starts, which is you in 2018 in amidst a, a pretty wild state of psychosis that you describe in a lot of vivid detail. Um, and I've got, I've got to be honest, though, this isn't disrespectful at times. It is, it is entertaining, too, because sure. uh, as much as I'm sure it was a, a hell for you and certainly those around you, you know, the thoughts you have, you remember them all in, in great detail uh, and very vividly, uh, don't you? I mean, it, it, is, is that strange, the fact that you, your mind has sort of gone to such a completely different place and yet you still remember all the thoughts and the sort of rational thought processes behind them? Uh, it would be
0: strange if it was like from one day to the next, but it's incremental. So I've been getting gradually high for months. Um, and actually, you were right. It was absolute hell for people around me increasingly. But it, um, as Rebecca pointed out at the time, my partner, uh, you know, it's actually I was she gave. She said, it's fine for you. You're crazy. You're having a great time. And actually, mm-hmm. a lot of the time I was, you know, it was very exciting. Um, it was very kind of vivifying and validating. And I was living in this sort of sub James Bond fantasy by the end of it, or not by the end of it, by the time it came to a peak. Um, And I can remember it all. Yes. I remember the scene where the book starts in Manchester airport. I'm sort of playing a game, imagining that I'm part of a sort of secret conspiracy to save the world. But, you know, a week later, um, I'm completely convinced of it. You start with one foot in reality and one foot out of it. And as it gets hold of you, uh, and as you embrace it, um, you just lose it. And so what you're then doing is bluffing um, with reality. You're you're lying to people all the time and saying that you're fine. And what you're really doing, uh, as the kind of most progressive treatments clinicians understand it, is you're suffering from delusions, which for you are a way of dealing with a world you can't bear. Um, And there were lots of different pressures on me, some self-induced, some not. But while I kept, it was like a mad eggshell. Well, I carried this eggshell around of all these crazy ideas, um, which all linked up and were able to make, you know, I had a complete system in which it all made sense. Uh, While I was doing that, then, you know, nobody I loved was ill. Um, The world was going to be saved. It was all going to be okay if only the man from MI6 would just come out from behind the curtain and say, you're right, Horatio, you've done your bit now, you can relax. But of course that never happened.
1: Mm. And 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 there was no there was no doubt. But but when you got right into the midst of it, there was no doubt. Even when people were saying to you, Listen. "That's a
0: strange thing." No, there really wasn't. And and uh, it's associated with the condition this irritability. And if you're challenged, it's not just you know you're staying up too late. You're, you're smoking dope, which you shouldn't do. You're talking too fast. Uh, you're not making sense. It's not just those things that are challenging you. It's the idea that the whole thing is is mad bollocks. Um, and so you get very irritable very quickly. You're, you get very angry and you you storm off um, because, of course, the whole thing is so fragile. Um, but no, I had no sense at all that it wasn't real.
1: There's a lot of parallels with addict behaviour, I think. I know you've had issues with addiction as, as well. and And that kind of irritability, thinking that no one else is really... Under, understands what's happening because you're in your own little bubble um huge denial mm. uh there, there are some parallels there in the types of behavior aren't there that makes
0: a lot of sense and and i'm sure um the mechanism you know the serotonin and the dopamine are just racing around you and you're sparking them all the time with i was with spirits and with dope even at very low levels in fact dope is worse for me it turns out to be very low levels Um, Because at higher levels, it it kind of mummifies you, but at low levels, it just makes you go faster or does me. Um, And yes, that makes a lot of sense. I was completely addicted to this egomaniac fantasy uh, in which um, I I was going to save the world. Aliens were going to, or I wasn't, the governments were, but I had a part to play in it. Aliens were going to zap us if we didn't come together um, you know, And I assembled evidence for it constantly. So if you remember, there were those drones over Gatwick. Mm. And now, you know, there's stuff in the papers about the US Navy having been visited by little flying dots, etc. All of that to me was proof positive. Um, and I would misinterpret conversations with strangers. Uh, Every car belongs to a different, you know, some were naval intelligence, some were plainclothes police. And most of it I didn't experience as threatening. Most of it I I experienced as um, exciting um, and encouraging. Uh, And so, yes, addictive behaviour, it certainly was. It certainly was. I mean, in some way, you know, who wouldn't want to be completely known and watched and be a player in a drama? You know, who wouldn't want to be Bond, you know, for for a day or two or, in this case, a month or two? Um, And it was pretty horribly revealing of, you know, what a prat I am in in many ways. Um, Those sort of fantasies that are okay in childhood, but that don't make good men or, or, or people. But I really understand why, you know, when you see people having breakdowns, and often it's, you see it most commonly in the homeless, a huge percentage of which suffer from severe mental health issues. There are reasons why you see men or women ranting in the street. You know, it's um, the anger, the isolation. And it, it, in a way, it is like being on heroin or something. You, you have no way out. You, you really need help.
1: Mm. What was your experience before this episode? How, how old were you when you when you in two thousand and eighteen? When this uh,
0: forty five, I would have been.
1: So you're were five, yeah. and that was the most serious, severe yeah. episode of psychosis you've ever had. But what what had been your past experiences? Were, were there signs that this could have been on its way? Now, in retrospect,
0: oh, absolutely. I mean, the reassuring thing about this, in a way, is that there's no mystery in it at all. So. Uh, I smoked a lot sort of dope at university, uh, and when I stopped, I hit depression. I, I realised I was manic in stages through my life, always uh, associated with the use of cannabis. I'm clearly uh, suffer from cannabis psychosis, and I tended to do it in the summer and would get uh, high and happy, um, and then I would come off it in the winter. And around the time my tax bill came in, uh, I'd have no money, and I'd be in. Depression, uh, which you can imagine was complete hell to live with for my partner, especially. Um, I'd had a breakdown coming back from a long journey I did following Swallows for a book in two thousand and eight. Exactly the same thing: very little food, lot of travel, no sleep, dope, a lot of dope, uh, breakdown, um, and that took me months. I realize now to come back from, um, and so the steady periods uh, tended to coincide when you know I was working, when I was teaching. On the whole. Um, I I would sometimes be slight, I mean, always happier in a summer and always lower in the winter. And and I had a breakdown, so that was one, swallows, and two, um, was in France a couple of years ago, a few years ago now, about five years ago. And I ended up in a mental hospital for one night, and the woman said, what do you think is going on? And I'd been smoking dope, of course, I was manic. And I said, well, I think I'm bipolar and I'm having a, a bipolar attack. And she said, well, that can't be right, because if you were, you couldn't be having this conversation with me now she said, I think you're cyclothymic. And I said, what's that? And she said, oh, it's like a, it's a mild form of bipolar where you go up and down. Do you find you do that? And I said, yeah. And she said, yeah, well, that's what it is. And um, it's, we, we diagnose it commonly in France. And if you're careful, you make good lifestyle choices, it's totally manageable. And if you don't, it will surely get worse. Um, and so I started doing therapy, but I never made the fundamental choices which really needed to be made. Um, until coming out of the mental hospital this time where you, you, you know you've run out of excuses and places to hide then. Um, and so the choice the, the changes have been very fundamental. Um, and, and I have to say not all of them sanctioned or encouraged or even helped um, by the medical profession.
1: So what what sort of lifestyle choices back back then in in France when you spoke to the doctor in France, was she suggesting? she didn't really say uh, be
0: healthy really um i mean she was dealing with a lot of stuff and i was as far as i was she was concerned i was a very light case i was in and out overnight no problem you know she gave me some pills some antipsychotic, and said if you ever find yourself staying up late take these uh, and i did uh, there was a, a year or two later i did find myself staying up late and talking too much and so i mm. took them and they knocked me out um it worked Um, But the fundamentals really were that I needed intensive therapy. I needed to find out why I indulged in risk-taking behaviour, why I smoked dope when I knew it was no good for me, why I was a liar and a cheat, why my sense of self-esteem was rock bottom, actually, and Mm. how I'd split myself into two people, one who appeared to be fine and one who really wasn't and who was guilty and kind of, dirty and um you know if you feel yourself to be a bad person in hiding then it kind of gives you permission to behave in bad ways in hiding um and so that fundamental split was driving me crazy um and so post the mental hospital so we're now talking 2019 uh i started intensive therapy uh i foreswore dope forever and didn't even need to i have no desire left for it at all um Stop lying to my partner. We've made fundamental changes. Um, and I must say, this last winter was a bit was a bit gloomy. It was, it was dark, cold. We'd come back from France. It was a horrible lockdown. It was frightening, you know? Um, so it wasn't great, but I, it was nothing I didn't expect. I necked vitamin D and oily fish, I took exercise. Um, and this summer, I mean, yeah, I, I feel a lot higher and happier than I was in February, December. But actually, I've been basically fine. I'm a person who doesn't like darkness and, and likes light. Yeah. But, you know, I, it's two like years that. now going on two and a half since mental hospital, and I'm fine. And I have to say, if I'd done what the doctor said, I, I probably wouldn't be.
1: So you're, you, you've are you realised that things, therapy and lifestyle choices are much more effective Massive. and advisable than, than medication. Um, what were the, you know, I'm interested also, and you touch upon it at the beginning of the book about the the sort of just practical things that were going on in your life in the build up to the incident in 2018, because that taps into all of this stuff, doesn't it? It's like overstretching, over uh, overwhelmed, that sort of stuff.
0: Yes, I was published. I published two books at the same time and promoted both of them hard meaning lots of travel lots of interviews lots of articles i was teaching a new course that i'd founded at manchester university a new job in non-fiction i was really ambitious for my students who were ace um and i was trying to make it back at the end of every night to Hebden bridge and be a decent partner and a good husband and a, a good father uh and i was smoking dope to accelerate these things uh and i our relationship was not happy or right you know the fundamentals were wrong uh, and all of that was like a pile of dynamite and 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 the dope was just the, the perfect detonator so and obviously whiskey and stuff um it's I, I can't imagine not it not going off the way it did you know if i did that again it would and it would probably be worse um so <laughs> real
1: changes had to be made so I mean, I I uh, relate to it so much in terms of my own sort of um, my darkest moments of addiction were uh, in a really similar situation whereby I I was overstretching myself and overwhelming myself and had that added pressure of things like having a family and really putting a lot of pressure on yourself to be a very good hands-on dad and, and all the rest of it. And all of that stuff piled on top, but... Back then, before I'd done any therapy or become more kind of self-aware, I wouldn't allow myself for a moment to acknowledge that I was overstretching myself or piling too much pressure on because I thought that sounded entitled and whingy, right? Right. And and that is why so many people, so many blokes and and women, I'm sure this podcast usually I speak to guys because I think it's very common amongst blokes, we're a similar age, yeah. And, uh, and you have that, you've got career and family. Yeah. You're trying to be absolutely brilliant. I know, you know, you've written about the fact that you're a perfectionist. Yeah. Which just means that you're constantly, like, pressuring yourself as well. I think and a lot of men are, you know. Yeah, and we just, I think it's that thing where you pretend to be okay. And I think mm. part of that's cultural, isn't it? You mm. sort of believe that you're kind of, you think, I, I, I have to be okay. I have to appear to be okay. And you have to tell yourself you're okay. Yeah. The real gift of when I hit sort of almost rock bottom was that I sort of started to allow myself to think, you know what? It's okay to sometimes just need a rest, yeah. and, and and that sort of stuff. So it's yeah. sort of a gift, isn't it? These these uh, these moments of of real terrible distress and trauma. Absolutely,
0: uh, I think you're very right. I think the perfectionism is so interesting. I think a version of it is sort of written into the. comes the idea of what a man is you know we're supposed to be good at things um, and on top of things and in control and you know my father suffered from long-term depression for which he never had any kind of therapy he kind of walked and thought and read and grew his way through it in a very mighty but quite lonely way but to me looking at it it seemed like he had it sorted you know I knew he had the moods but he seemed to be on top of life Um, and I think I always wanted to bring him achievement and and, and to be okay. And I think that something in the male kind of grammar is that we really-
1: Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding
0: the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.
1: A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.
0: Struggle to tell each other, particularly before we get to our 40s, when we're failing and, and, and to have the conversations that... Perhaps more embattled groups like you know women and the trans community and the gay community mm. might find they have a standard. Uh, I think that, you know the, the awful thing about the patriarchy is that men are also its victims how huh? so um I think i'm I'm probably right in in, in feeling that that kind of um lonely perfectionism uh, which brings with it an absolute sense as you know of of overdrive and failure together is a lot of many of us at all different kind of levels um, throughout society. I'm fascinated by men's mental health. It was very interesting being in a psychiatric ward with 21 other men. We had so much in common and and at the same time, nothing in common. Um, But two things were, I mean, they were good men who tried and they were vulnerable to, particularly to cannabis, which was common to all of us. Uh, and we hadn't had therapy and they weren't getting it. They were getting CBT, which they said was useless because it was no good giving them strategies to get through tomorrow if they if no one had talked to them about what had been done to them or had happened to them yesterday, you know. What kind of therapy did you have, so?
1: Well, it's a mixture. Uh, it was with a, a, someone who specialised in, in addicts and she kind of practises all sorts of different things. CBT is an element of it, but the reflection on your past and what brought you... Yeah. Where you are now, I, I agree with you. That's easily of all the different things. And I've been I've been in therapy now for well, it's coming up for six years since I got sober. And it's but easily the most powerful part of it was just getting some more understanding. Looking back at yourself and your own life a little bit more sympathetically. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't I don't think that we allow ourselves to be sympathetic, especially if you are aware of the fact that you know you are, you know you are a white middle-class yeah. man living, yeah. living in, you know, the, the pampered and privileged West, right? And so you yeah. sort of you, you kind of can't for a moment allow yourself to think, poor me, about Indeed. anything. Indeed. I, I wasn't, the other thing is, is that when you think of, when I didn't understand anything really about mental health, when you think about people who need to reflect on their childhood or talk about their childhood, you always have associations with quite extreme abuse of some sort maybe physical or psychological or, or, or loss or something extreme. I yeah. didn't have that. I lived in a sort of chaotic home with a single mother um, and my parents were, were, weren't were together and, and this, that, and the other. But I thought there is nothing near like the sort of stuff that I can possibly justify moaning or feeling any sort of sympathy for myself. The big thing is, is when you start to feel sympathy for the like child you were. Right. I think, you know, or That's even so as old you were. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly right. You, I mean, that nails it. I, you know, so at my age, I, you know, we were the last generation. I got a grant for at least the first two years of university. Yeah, uh, I was one of Thatcher's babies, so I got an assisted place, meaning the government paid for a state school kid from a single mum, chaotic home mm. to go to public school. I've had the riches of the world laid at my feet, you know, mm. through total accident, really, and not merit at all. Uh, and at the same time, when I did EMDR that's where we started was that child um, in that environment. It turns out, you know, I, I'd put up a front from the age of about six saying, yes, I'm fine. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm the golden boy. I'll be what you want me to be. But actually I really don't get it. And I deep down think that it was my fault you split up, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 It's exactly that. Exactly. That just constantly, I remember constantly telling anyone who would listen about how not only did it not matter to me that my parents weren't together, but that actually, in many ways, it was an advantage yeah. because I had two separate homes, and pro and I, I would tell myself things like my. I mean, you know, my dad would always take me for a McDonald's when I see him, which mm-hmm. is great. He wouldn't do that if he lived with us, and I don't yeah. have to live with arguing parents like a lot of people do. Same. And so I, yeah, Noah, I don't know why, but I made up these narratives myself because mm-hmm. it is you're constantly trying to tell everyone you're all right, and that is. Apart from everything else, that is bloody exhausting. Agreed. And I think that was why I did that's why I drank. That's why I did I used to do loads of coke. That was my big thing. And that was again, like you with cannabis, that was my way of just sort of um sustaining yeah. a wholly unsustainable approach to work and life.
0: Agree. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And this, well, my this, therapist this, this, this first, is so go on.
1: common. Yeah, gone.
0: Yeah. Well, she first she asked me about my childhood, and I was like, really? Uh, I said, I've already written this book. Don't you want to read it? She yeah. said, I have absolutely no interest whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, in yeah. I, like that
1: I liked that bit in the book. Because, uh, again, <laughs> I, I really related because you yeah. were very sort of like so many people, very defensive about don't think I'm going to say anything bad about my parents. Exactly. Everyone goes into therapy thinking, well, those of us yeah. who didn't, you know, some people yeah. can't, probably can't wait, but a lot of us yeah. go into everything. Don't even bother talking about my parents. My parents are gods.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And you you end up um, covering it up, and and they end up prescribing antidepressants and antipsychotics without therapy. You know the nice National Institute of Clinical Excellence guidelines say you shouldn't even be given an antidepressant without therapy, but it doesn't happen. Mm. It simply doesn't happen. So we try and medicate away what we should be talking through. Yeah, I and mean, the outcomes are worse.
1: Do you think that's a lot to do with money? Do you think that's to do with the fact Partly. that it's kind of sim- more simplistic to? um prescribe prozac or what have you then it then it, it, it's sort of cheaper and easier than to actually make sure that there's proper speech therapy for everyone yeah, who visits I a do. GP with mental health issues
0: i do but i also think there's something much more pernicious which is that our treatment of mental health has been largely dictated by the pharmaceutical industry uh, and the um, psychiatric profession um and both of them have concentrated in in the first case of making money and in the second case of you know, building establishment careers um, at the expense of uh, causes. So we medicate symptoms, but we don't address causes. So I think our entire system is backwards. There's a terrifyingly interesting book just come out by James Davis, who's a very eminent um, psychologist, Um, and he he sits on loads of boards. He's really done the research. After four and a half years, 39% of those who'd stopped their medication, he says, have fully recovered, compared to 6% those who continued to take it you know the, the fact is our outcomes now in the 21st century are not even as good as they were 100 years ago so it's not just money it's massively misdirected uh, philosophy of treatment
1: um what do you uh, do day to day i always like to help, uh, ask people about like the small things that help in their lives um and I know, obviously, you, you've written very brilliantly about nature, your love of birds and, and so forth. I mean, is that how significant a part of, of, of your sort of self-care is nature?
0: Um, it's a wonderful part of it, but in a way, it's the icing on the cake. I mean, the frightening thing is that there's research emerging saying that large sections of the population don't regard <clears throat> nature or art galleries as things that are really for them, um, and so it's, you know, it, it it is the icing on the cake for those of us. And it's so much the privileged, the educated, the rich uh, and the um experienced who will go out and do these things. But for me, the fundamentals are I don't lie to my partner. I get a lot of sleep. Like I'm serious about it. Obviously, we'll never smoke dope again. Um, those have really made the, the main differences. Uh, I take exercise um, and I eat well, um, and I try to not sweat the small stuff. With actually lockdown has helped. You know, we've all had a glimpse of a, of, of, of quite how mad the normal world was and how we were always running forward, chasing things. And I, I didn't know what mindfulness meant, but I think I do uh, have come to more or less practice it, which is appreciating the moment and, and appreciating the day. You know, it, it's a huge privilege to, to be alive and to not be frightened, that, that, you know, that those are big things and so I've become less ambitious in some ways um, I, I want concrete and simple things um, and, and so that's what I do Sam honestly
1: And and you, you mentioned it um, a, a little while ago, um, but let's go a little bit more into the particular type of therapy um, that, that you have practiced um, which is which is to do with trauma right and it's a particular type of i can't remember what it's called but it's like not what not widely known
0: sure um prince harry made it popular recently when he came out about doing it i thought was very admirable and there were shots of him in the paper kind of patting his shoulders so that's a stress therapy the therapist asks you out of 10 how stressed do you feel you say nine she goes right pat and hum and don't think about anything and let's see if we can get that down and it does work it's quite simply like just tapping brings you down um but what i did was so same as him eye movement desensitization and reprocessing emdr and it's had you know ecstatic reviews and it's growing um it's not entirely i mean no one's saying it's a miracle but it was incredibly effective for me in that you look at a moment of your childhood which was traumatic. So something that you've gone over a hundred times, like the day my parents split. Um, And you follow the therapist's finger as she moves it from side to side, and you maybe count backwards. So you're trying to basically lock out the thinking conscious brain. And then with the feeling unconscious brain engaged, um, because that's what you've got left, you're looking at this memory And you go into it and you say, what would you say to the little Horatio then? Pick him up, say something to him. And what I ended up saying to him was, look, it's not your fault. Uh, Your father needs therapy. He and your mother have been massively unhappy. She probably needs it too. Your dad will be married two more times. None of this will be your fault. Adults screw up. And it's not your responsibility to make it okay. And it isn't your fault that it went wrong. Um, And it's going to be fine. And, you know, have a hug. And it's kind of that level actually uh, and it, it's not lightly done we went back to some of these scenes 10 times you know at 60 quid an hour which is <laughs> something you know that is outrageous and it's the hardest line in my stories between those who can afford therapy and to jump the queues. Uh-huh. i was i'm helping out with a thing run by the nhs at the moment there was a lady there who waited three years for therapy which she desperately needed single mum under horrendous pressure traumatic childhood three years When she got to the head of the queue, they said, oh, we think we put you down for the wrong thing. Can we put you on a different waiting list? And the dear lady said, how long is that one? And that's borderline criminal in a society as rich as ours. Mm. So that's how it worked. And it really worked because it wasn't nebulous. You know, By the time we'd looked and felt our way, what you're doing is um, uncovering, digging up, suppressed and deep, miserable insecurities um, and smashing them. Um, And so she would say, out of 10, how do you feel about that memory now, given that you were eight, you know, four weeks ago? And I'd say, well, I think I'm back down to four. Um, um, So it was very interesting uh, uh, and, for me, very effective.
1: Um, and, and when you do reflect on things about your childhood and about your parents, I suppose a lot of people feel they don't want to go down that path because they do love their parents and they don't want to start blaming them for things or condemning them for things. But it's important to know, and you write about this in the book, that's not what it's about. You can still love your parents, understand mm-hmm. and respect them, but acknowledge the fact that they played a role in in who you are and the problems that you've got.
0: Sure. I mean, the, it, Philip Larkin was right. They do mess you up, your mum yeah. and dad, uh, and they do not mean to, but they do. Uh, and that's OK. That's part of life. I think the success that comes, you know, with parents being aware in a way of this um, power uh, or this inevitable kind of fate of, of messing up a bit. Uh, and what my therapist taught me was to say to my son, you know, this really isn't your fault, or I really messed up yesterday when I raised my voice at you, or um, adults make mistakes. And I remember telling him that one day, and he looked at me with kind of delight, and he said, really? Um, And so the open line of communication is really interesting, Mm. and not making them uh, try and perform a role, but being the children that they are, which is compassion. And so I feel enormous admiration and compassion for my own parents, And when my mum read the book, which I tried to stop her doing initially because I was so insecure about it, Mm. I expected an explosion of kind of performative guilt, which she's actually quite good at. Um, And actually there was none of that. There was none of that. She just, she, she was just glad that it it Mm. had come out and it had come through. So, yeah, it's not about condemning them. It's about our understanding that we, you know, we, we bumble forward, don't we, doing the best we can on the whole.
1: You, I mean, you are brutally honest about yourself, your own experiences in the book. Like I say, it is at times entertaining um, uh, as a result of that. Not least when you become convinced that you're going to marry Kylie, <laughs> which is a real highlight.
0: <laughs> it was for me too, Sam. It was a really good moment.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was and pretty what, excited what, for a couple of days. What's interesting is you actually say that that's quite common and uh, was it a doctor told you that that was quite common specifically men thinking they were going to marry Kylie
0: yes yes she's there for all of us it turns out it must have been the locomotion or something but um (laughs) maybe it was the dungarees you know but we all obviously see her as the perfect wife Um, yeah yeah and bless her she's still single so that still fitted in with my um, yeah no don't (laughs) don't please don't start
1: thinking those thoughts again um (laughs) horatio it's a it's a wonderful book and um it's amazing that you've you've shared it so eloquently and so honestly i hope you know it'll be an inspiration to a lot of people and uh, delighted to hear that things are better for you now and thanks so much for your time on the reset
0: sam it's been a complete pleasure to meet you as it were thank you very much for having me godspeed you
1: that was horatio claire I can really recommend the book, Heavy Light, which is out now, published by Vintage. Yes, Horatio's story is extreme, but he tells it with such humanity, warmth, and insight that even though I've never suffered from anything like mania or psychosis, thank God, I was really able to take some learnings about life and love and how we manage our thoughts and feelings from his book. I hope you took something from listening to our conversation too remember to subscribe to The Reset if you don't already at samdelaney.substack.com it's free and there's a weekly newsletter I write to. until next time gang, be lucky and remember, don't let the dickheads get you down